Hey, before we dive into today's discussion of chapters 16 through 18 of Master and Apprentice, I just have a couple of announcements. First, I want to welcome new patrons to the Outer Rim Reads team. So, shout out to Jared TG, DeVore, Death Star Dispatch, Hillary, Heather, and Sterminator19, as well as a huge shout out to our producer status patron at the Lothal tier, Simon Van Beckham. Thank you so much for joining and supporting the show in an incredible way. It really means so much to me, and I'm thrilled to have you on board. If anyone would like to join this wonderful group of patrons and get access to great benefits like a patron Discord server, bonus content, access to my notes, live streams, and more, you can head over to patreon.com slash outerrimreads. The Pet Pictures Discord channel has been thriving. You all might want to get in on that fun. Now for our Search Your Reading segment. Last episode's discussion question was, based on Qui-Gon and Rail's discussion, do you agree with Qui-Gon that the Jedi Code should be open to interpretation by each Jedi? Or would you agree with an Obi-Wan figure who believes the Code to establish a specific sense of order and direction that all Jedi must adhere to? And we've got some listener responses from Twitter. Alberto from Radio Rebellion says, It's a tough one. On one side, I am like Obi-Wan and would adhere to the code, but on the other, especially after reading some of the High Republic, the Force can be interpreted many ways and still follow the light. Simon answered, I think the will of the Force is much more important than the Jedi Code. The Code is a good guideline, but it should be adaptable and not restrict the Jedi too much, like it did during the Clone Wars. And Yasin wrote, I agree more with Qui-Gon. The loose interpretation allowed him to find his own view of the Force and true balance. The strict interpretation led to Vader and to the downfall of the Republic because they did the one thing they constantly preached against and feared the dark. And finally, Colleen answered, Fighting the will of the Force is like fighting nature. Trying to put a strict list of guidelines on it will never work. The idea that the dark side must also be bad is a very flawed concept. Nature's, quote, dark side is death, part of the natural order. It's the sentient beings who put their interpretation on the Force that make it light and dark. Thank you all so much for those answers. I love hearing from you, so be sure to stay tuned for our discussion question at the end of this episode. And with all that said, let's get into episode 28 of Outer Rim Reads. Hello there, listeners, and welcome to episode 28 of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through Star Wars novels across the canon. My name is Andrew Geha, and I'm your host along this journey. In this episode, we will be discussing chapters 16 through 18 of Master and Apprentice, and I'm joined today by the voice of the Star Wars YouTube channel, Talking With My Hans, Ian Roth. Ian. How you doing, man? Thank you so much for being on the show today. Listen, I did a lot of podcasts this year, and there is not <laughs> one that comes higher on my list of podcasts I like being on than this one. Uh, and I, I mean that sincerely. I know we go back and forth all the time in private, but honestly, this is one of my favorite shows to be on. Um, it, it just—it's such—I told you this before. It's just a unique show. It's just a great concept, and I 
I have told you this dozens of times, but it is. It's just so much fun. And I was on a podcast with our boy Fred, an actual yeah. podcast with episodes. And this is still one of my favorites to come on. Uh, <laughs> don't tell Fred. Fred don't tell listening. Essential Fred that. <laughs> essential. I was thinking to myself the other day, Essential Fred, like I just haven't heard that name in a while. So I, I hope that there will be more to come with, with that show. I really appreciate the high praise, uh, especially coming from a a top-tier YouTube channel in my books, and as it should be in everyone else's books, because uh, you're probably my favorite. Uh, wow. So I'm just glad to have you back on the show, uh, returning guest. Clearly, you were esteemed high enough for me to reach back out again, so yeah. I'm, I'm happy to have you. <laughs> I'm really lucky, because some people watch one of my videos and they think, oh, yeah, this guy's not for me. So to, yeah. <laughs> for someone to actually want to talk to me, like, for real twice, wow, that's wow. a big <laughs> win for me. Um so Absolutely. thank you, Andrew, for reaching out. I mean, I'm excited. And this time we're reading a really good book. We really are. And speaking of that book, and also just to, to give any new listeners who haven't heard your voice on this show before, do you mind giving a little bit about the beginnings of your Star Wars fandom and then specifically how you were introduced to Master and Apprentice? Yeah, well, it's this is a kind of a funny story, the beginning of my Star Wars fandom. I don't recall... Um, you know, what order I watched the movies in. Like, if I watched them four, five, six, one, two, three, I don't remember what my first reaction to them were. I don't even remember if I liked them, like, when I first watched them. <laughs> Obviously, they sparked an interest in me. Um, but I remember being at Walt Disney World, of all places, and Revenge of the Sith was on television. This was, like, 2006, maybe 2007. Um and we turned it on at the end when Anakin Skywalker's burning alive on Mustafar. <laughs> and that was that was our first, me and my brother, that was our welcome first. Welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah, welcome. That was it. I mean, that was our me and my brother's first taste of Star Wars. You know, you, you hear the stories of, like, you know, who these characters are. And you don't really, like, line up the building blocks. But then you see it happen. You're like, okay, I got to see what happens here. Like, yeah. well, how did we get to this point? <laughs> like, how could it have exactly. turned out so bad for this guy? But then it just, just from there, it, it spiraled out of control. You know, you go on Wikipedia once and you scroll down to where all the characters Hours later. <laughs> yeah, and you just start reading away when every character has a 5,000 word autobiography on there. You, I mean, it's just, you have to read it. Um, and I just start filling my head with useless ram of knowledge, you know, <laughs> Star Wars. But uh, Master and Apprentice obviously came years and years and years and years later uh, after my first initiation into the Star Wars universe. And it was a book that I was actually really looking forward to coming out. Uh, yeah. This book came out a couple years ago now, right? When I was still in school. And it was one of those books that obviously I was looking forward to coming out. Uh, not only because it's about two of my favorite characters in Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. But sure. because it was Claudia Gray. Um, <laughs> I, I, I really don't have to say much more than that. My first yeah. taste of canon Star Wars books from the Disney canon was Lost Stars by Claudia Gray. And I rave about that book. I've probably raved about yep. that book on this show. You and did? <laughs> I did. And <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That book is, by and large, the best canon book I've read to date. And I've read a dozen, you know, 20 canon books. So when Master and Apprentice came out, it was a no-brainer for me. A funny story with Master and Apprentice was that me and my roommate actually got really into writing Star Wars stories in college. And before Master and Apprentice was even announced... We had written a outline, and I had actually written some chapters that are still on my computer really? of this Gwygon and Obi Wan buddy cop 
sort of wow. <laughs> that's great sort of like <laughs> a story set before the phantom menace so then when we hear claudia grace coming out with this story we're like that nasty claudia gray <laughs> she stealing our it. ideas i can't believe this <laughs> so, claudia if you're if you're listening to this we're on to you <laughs> i'm suing you I, this is ridiculous we know what you did my three chapters of terrible writing will come for you. You just you just wait, Claudia. Um, but no, I read the book and it was fantastic. Just I just how could it not be? Um, yeah. And there was so many different little things in that book that tied back to the saga and some beautiful irony that we're going to uh, yeah. discover in the chapters that that we read for this episode. But just another fantastic addition to the canon by Claudia Gray. Yeah, I think that her stock in my books has definitely increased. Because I remember you had recommended Lost Stars when you first came on the show. And I, I think last month or the month before, I got to reading that and finishing that myself. And that is definitely, I think Thrawn will always hold the number one spot for me. Um, but that book, Lost Stars, is phenomenal. And right now, I mean, Claudia is just on a on a great streak. I know that she's also uh, writing for The High Republic that's uh, mm -hmm. coming out. So I'm excited for, for more of her writing. And we, we do have a really good book in front of us. And this is this is really to the parts where it's gotten really great. Uh, if it wasn't already, if people weren't sold already on the story, I think these chapters especially, uh, it's where it gets yeah. really good. So, And you know what? I kind of lucked out. I got some good chapters for Thrawn. <laughs> <laughs> we probably got the best chapters for Thrawn, but I got yeah. some good chapters for this one, too. Um, in all honesty, when I first read the book, it took me a couple chapters to get into this yeah. one. Uh, I think the first few are a little slow. But to be honest with you, the story is is really captivating. It's very unique. Yeah. You know, it's sure. it, it's something that is suspenseful. And I think that's really important in a book in Star Wars. Yeah. I think you need to have suspense because otherwise it gets very boring, very yep. fast. Um <laughs> You know, and that's what happened. I think I talked about Darth Plagueis on the last episode, too. The, the old Legends book by James Lucino. Yeah. Deep, rich, lore, not so much suspense. And it yeah. just, it drags at points. But Claudia Gray and our boy Timothy Zahn, God, they're they just masters of the suspense. <laughs> Every time they write something, it's, you know what? gotta go to the bookstore like that day you know <laughs> nothing else everything just kind of stops because i have to go get uh the latest book so yeah, yeah. you know what you're right these two chat these three chapters actually that we read are just fantastic i'm gonna grab my book but let's yeah, let's sure. get into it i'll yeah i'll dive into my chapter summary for chapter 16 and then we can get discussing aboard the merricks pax expresses his annoyance at he and rahara being recruited to help protect princess fanry he and Rahara both express contempt for the privilege Fanry was born into while so many in the galaxy are born into suffering. Rahara opens up to the two Jedi about her horrible upbringing as a slave to the Zerka Corporation, and Pax asks the Jedi about the realities of freedom in their own lives. They then discover heat signatures from an armed group hiding underground on the moon. In the throne room, Obi-Wan is tasked with protecting Princess Fannery before the grand hunt begins. There, he talks about his investigations on the moon and also teaches the princess about lightsabers and kyber crystals. Fannery presses Obi-Wan, wanting to know more about lightsaber combat, but the Padawan assures her that no Jedi would ever use their lightsaber against another of their kind. We'll talk about that, and once we get there, because that uh, it really hit me hard. Um, but 
Before we dive into the details of chapter 16, do you have any general first impressions on this chapter? This is, like you said, part of the book where it starts taking the curve up. I think this is this is probably either on the curve or starts the curve where the book starts going from, oh, this is all right, to, okay, here we go, <laughs> right? Like, this is that part of the book. To be honest with you, this is kind of where you start to see the stakes of this book, this chapter and the next chapter. For sure. And that's an important part of the story. If you don't sell the stakes high enough or create that sort of rift, the book sort of falls flat before it even begins, right? Yeah. And that's what these two, three chapters are doing, and 16 is the start of that, I think. Yeah. We'd already come from, I think, the, in the previous chapter, you know, the assassination attempt on mm -hmm. Fanry's life with the slicer dart uh, in her chambers. But this, you know, what ends up happening in these chapters, it's a lot. The the stakes, like you're saying, are increased to a to a new level. It's right, very much in our face of what's happening and, yeah. and the suspense, like you were talking about. It, it's It soars. The threats to Fanry become very real and tangible in mm -hmm. these chapters. So uh, it starts out on the Merricks, uh, in Rahara's point of view. And it's just funny to how she's observing Pax and Obi-Wan just bickering in the background about, I think, the scanner blocking field. And, you know, Pax, we got a little bit about his background, his upbringing, very tragic, you know, how everyone aboard the ship he was on was killed by pirates. He was the lone survivor on the uh, on the ship and raised by protocol droids. But he's reminding us here, you know, whatever sympathy we've garnered for him from that revelation, he kind of just, he's lowering himself a few pegs just with his constant complaining about the mission, how he doesn't really want to be doing this, a lot of passive aggressive remarks. But it comes to kind of like the meat of this discussion where he and Rahara, they both find some common ground when they're both expressing that, yeah, this princess that you've assigned us or recruited us to help you protect, she's living in a castle she's born into privilege you know there's so many out there who don't have it as good as she but now we're risking our lives for her sake mm -hmm. and Qui-Gon points out that it might be unfair to judge Fanry based on the circumstances that she's born into and that they're totally out of her control and I guess my initial question to you is do they both do both kind of parties here have a point or should we be having a little bit more sympathy for Fanery, where a lot of commoners might view her as, yeah, the princess who's living up in finery, in luxury, up in the palace. There is that disconnect from royalty to the everyday people who are very much Pax and Rahara. Yeah, I think there's a nice little social commentary going on here uh, from Claudia Gray about the kind of the world that we live in, too. Yeah. You know, where, there are, where the very wealthy elite live, you know, with most of the country's wealth. Um, so I think that has something going for it. But I think to Gwygon's point, he is kind of, he, he does make a great point. I think both sides bring great points to the argument. Sure, does Fanry live in, in absolute wealth and, you know, royalty and gets everything that she wants? Yeah, yeah, she does. And that compared to the life of Pax and Rahara is is nice, right? But yeah. Gwygon makes the point, like you said, that she didn't choose it. You know, she might not want to live that life. She never got that choice. And that's a great point because it's kind of sad. You know, yeah. she might want to be a musician or an artist or she might want to, I don't know, do anything else, right? She but might she can. want, <laughs> but she can't because yeah. this was the life she was born into. And that's sort of sad, right? Because she was born with this responsibility, yeah. you know, which is the other thing. Like, she's not just living the high life, she is a princess. 
Yeah. You know, she has very important social responsibilities to adhere to. And for a kid, that stinks, right? Like, to, yeah. to have all this responsibility is, what is she, 12, 13 in this book? I Something like remember. that, yeah. So, like, yeah, Qui-Gon brings a, a, a very important argument. And I don't know if you're about to get to this, but he's almost hinting at himself in yeah, this. There. <laughs> there's, a, there's a nice little hint into Gwygon's own self where he's kind of like reaching out into the beyond you know these yeah. th- this message availed where Gwygon's like hi you know hi Gwygon Jin Jedi Master uh, <laughs> didn't actually want to be a Jedi Master but here we are but here I am <laughs> you know this is a responsibility that I have now um, yeah and that's um, I-, I think that's also one of the bigger themes of the early part of this book too like Obi-Wan got assigned to Gwygon as a master, and Obi-Wan didn't really have a choice. Yeah. And he doesn't like it, right? Especially in the early part of this book, Gwygon and Obi-Wan just don't really see eye to eye. At all. <laughs> At all, really. And that's one of the fun parts for the audience to see that because we know later down the line they're very good friends and exactly. they're a great team. But right now they're not. They stink. They don't see eye to eye on anything. So I think it's – it's an important theme of the book, especially this first half of the book, where, For sure. you know, sure, some people's lives may be better, but that doesn't make them okay. Exactly. Because right? they still yeah. didn't choose that life. And, it, and like you're saying, Fanry does have a lot of responsibility, difficult responsibility, especially given the circumstances that Pijal is in right now with the opposition, with, you know, some harmless political demonstrations, but then, you know, the Soulcraft almost getting destroyed the attempt on her own life what ends up happening in the next chapter but on the topic of of choosing one's path Qui-Gon notes that this seems to be a point that is striking a little bit personally with Rahara and she does at at Qui-Gon's kind of tactless prompt when he when he kind of says so you were born into slavery uh and she opens up about her upbringing where she's telling them that she was born as a slave on Hosnian Prime Briefly, is that the capital of the? Is that the eventual capital of the New Republic? I feel like it I've is. heard it is. Okay, the, which is Hosnian Prime is the planet that you see get blown up in the Force yeah. Awakens. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, is, <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, and, resulting and in finding, the death of billions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but we see that slavery does exist there, and it's an interesting point here where Obi Wan points out that. Hang on, slavery isn't allowed by the Republic, but then Rahara counters that with, yes, but they do allow Zerka business mm-hmm. who uses slaves. The right. Zerka Corporation uses slaves, and this isn't, it doesn't make it a political issue or a governmental issue. It's just the workers that they choose to use when they're given the clearance, like, all right, yeah, you can do business on this planet. And it kind of points out this loophole where surely I have to wonder that the Republic has to know about the nature of the Zerka business. And surely they know that the Zerka Corporation is exploiting the rules here, but I guess that it's okay as long as it's in the name of business? What were your takes on that? It just, it seems like a very exploitative issue where slavery shouldn't be a thing, but then right. the Republic is kind of letting it go under the radar. A little I don't bit. know. Like I, In-universe, I have no idea, to be honest with you. I, I have to imagine that Zerka is almost like an Amazon. You know, Amazon.com, where, like, they're just so big, and they've probably bought out so many people that even if the Republic wanted to do something about it, the senators that support Zerka and have gotten money and contributions from the Zerka Corporation wouldn't allow it because they fund their re-election campaigns and whatnot, right? That's the way at least I 
made sense of it. In the canon, it could also be a fact sure. that maybe the galaxy is just massive and the Republic has 20,000 other yeah. issues to get to before they get to Zarka, right? Um, but It's a fair point. On this, this topic where Obi-Wan kind of discovers that there's slavery in the Republic, it's a nice little moment for him. It's an unsung moment for Obi-Wan because this yeah. is one of his first missions as a Padawan. And he's kind of seeing the galaxy that it's not everything that he was taught in the Jedi exactly. Temple. Probably like there is real issues. Like there are things out there that are bad and things out there that are immoral. And Obi-Wan has a tough time wrestling with that, I think, where Gwygon doesn't, right? Like, Gwygon yeah. just comes out and says it because he's probably seen it before, right? You know, and he's For aware sure. of this sort of thing, and he, he is there to... I almost see this as, like, a lesson to Obi-Wan. Like, maybe yeah. Gwygon asks so that he can show Obi-Wan that this stuff exists, Right, I mean, that's an important lesson for a Jedi that's supposed to be out in the wild to know that this stuff exists. Yeah. Um, but there's also a nice parallel there, Andrew, with Obi Wan discovering that there's slavery in the galaxy, because then canonically, mm. the story after this, Qui Gon and Obi Wan go to Tatooine with Padme, yeah. and Padme discovers that there's slavery in the galaxy. Yeah. Right, and Obi Wan doesn't say anything because he's already seen it. Right. Yeah. So it's kind that's of passed down over time not that seeing slavery in the republic is like a rite of passage to every young up-and-coming anything yeah. <laughs> it's just the fact that these people are coming out of their shells and they're seeing the galaxy for what it is and realizing that it is not all sunshine and rainbows yeah. and that there are terrible things in this galaxy that are happening that the jedi in the republic just kind of you know turn a blind eye to sometimes yeah that's it's a very difficult issue to grapple with you very aptly pointed out the political nuances where if the zirka just bought out everyone you know even if the republic wanted to do something about it, it the, the cards might be stacked against them we we don't know uh, but mm -hmm. i like that connection that you drew from uh, from here to the phantom menace because there i feel like there are a lot of those in this book which is which is nice it's refreshing but then it's also very insightful here where like you're saying yeah padme and, and obi-wan before her are, are their eyes are being open to the realities of the struggle in the galaxy that they might not be exposed to, you know, on Naboo, on Coruscant. Before we talk about kind of how you mentioned earlier about Qui-Gon and, and choice with his life, with his path, I do want to highlight this bit about Rahara talking about how she escaped slavery. I think her story is very powerful. I think we need to give credit where credit is due. She is she has come from terrible circumstances, born into slavery. There's just this passage here where she's talking about uh, her escape. I'm going to read, quote, Cutting the tag out had hurt so much, but she hadn't flinched once. The minute it fell to the ground, stained with her blood, Rahara had started running. She didn't look back. And talking about how you know, there was a fire on the, sh on the mining ship she was on, and she saw that as an opportunity to escape, and obviously it mm -hmm. cut out the uh, scanning tag. And this shows her determination and, and, her, and her strength where even some of the worst pain possible, you know, cutting something out of your own hand and seeing your blood on it on the ground where even that kind of immense pain meant nothing in the face of escaping the horrors right. that she grew up in. Her, her story continues to show how she's just such a powerful character and was able to find the strength the immense strength to take hold of her own destiny even at such a, a terrible cost yeah. in that moment i mean i think what that story really does and you've already pointed about it is just tell you how bad she really had it like to cut something out of her own body and to not feel anything yeah. is just it's remarkable i can't imagine like taking a knife to my arm or whatever and just digging out a, a chip or whatever it is that they they have in their arm 
and just being like, got to be done, got to do it, let me dig yeah. out. Like, God, you got to be in some absolute nonsense for you to just dig out that and then just start running into who knows who what, knows. right? Like, exactly. Look, that's the other part. The other part of that story is like, it's not like she had an idea of where she was going. She just said, you know what? Literally anywhere else in the galaxy is better than where I'm at right now. So let yeah. me just go. Right. Yeah. So that's it's it's an important story to have been told in this in this book. For sure. And I just can't speak enough to how impressive her character continues to be and also mm-hmm. tempering Pax a little bit here as as the scene moves on. Where Pax and you hinted at this, he kinda of flips the question to Qui-Gon where he's asking, you know, how the Jedi steal them as babies and like kind of like mold their minds from there and like, you know, he's asking what kind of freedom is that? And Obi-Wan kind of starts out in a very comical response where it's kind of like textbook where he's saying, quote, like, being a Jedi is an honor, a responsibility, a noble calling. And then mm-hmm. Qui-Gon kind of juts in and, you know, he says, quote, yes, Padawan, it's all of those things. But it's very hard for most of us to determine whether we chose it freely being raised as we were. That said, I did have a choice. Dooku helped me to see that, and I chose the Order. And it's an interesting discussion because Pax does have a point. You know, the Jedi are taken as babies before they really have any choice in their life, and they kind of raise them that way. And Qui-Gon's admitting here, I found it very interesting that he's admitting that Dooku helped him to see that there's a choice, even though that maybe there's a lesson to be learned from Dooku leaving Mm -hmm. to show that, yes, even though they're raised that way, they can still choose to stay, to leave. Dooku did take it too far, eventually, as, as we come to know, but I feel like there's still a lesson and a statement here nonetheless. Right, and it's, it's a statement that's actually very prevalent in Star Wars canon as a whole, and that's the ability to make a choice, or to have a choice, yeah. or to follow your own path. Not only is it very prevalent in this book, it's very prevalent in the sequel trilogy, when Rey decides to take the name Skywalker. Yeah. She chose that name. She chose that life. She had a destiny. You know, she could have taken the throne of the Sith, and it could have all been hers, but she chose no. She's going to take the name Skywalker and continue that legacy. It's a choice that first came about in Battlefront 2 when Luke talks to Del Mico on, um, I think it's not Pijal, it's... um, Oh, forget the name. name. It's this very (laughs) lush, vibrant planet, but those of you that have played Battlefront 2 know exactly what I'm talking about. Luke Skywalker tells Del that, no, you don't have to join the Rebel Alliance. You don't have to become a Jedi, but you have a choice. You know, you don't have to stay with the Empire. You have a choice to be better. You know, and Del knows that, and he just needed to hear that, and he does by the end of the game. And that's, I think that's a really powerful message that the new Star Wars canon is really pushing, because Star Wars is all about fate and destiny and lineage and bloodline, but it's also about having a choice and doing the right thing and doing what is morally right. You know, like that's... Yeah. I think that's a big deal. It is very powerful, and it's just so interesting here seeing that of all the people to show that to Qui-Gon, it was the man who ends up falling to the dark side. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, cho- you know, that kind of choice, that kind of grasping of one's freedom, you know, it, it can come from anyone uh, in any place, whether it's Rahara who grew up a slave or Dooku in the Order. Uh, and it's a very powerful theme, and I like how you're pointing out that it is a very consistent theme in this new canon. So a very interesting and, and powerful conversation to kind of close out that scene as they also discuss these heat signatures below, below the surface of the moon. So there is a group there, an mm-hmm. armed group there that they have noted on their sensors and they'll return there another day. But also, but importantly to add to that note is that Qui-Gon notices that there's no evidence of air traffic in that area recently. So whoever must have orchestrated the 
slicer dart incident must have been on Pijal. So maybe the opposition has operatives down planet side. It's an interesting point there. Um, and the next scene takes us to the throne room, where it's this big conversation between Fanry and Obi-Wan, with Minister Orth and Captain Darren, kind of talking about the moon investigations. But I think the takeaway for me from this scene comes from Obi-Wan's conversation with Fanry about lightsabers, about the kyber crystal within his saber. I love how when he's kind of disassembling his lightsaber for her, everyone, even Captain Darren, who's like this stoic, maintain like uh, maintain guard over Fanry, everyone just comes to look over his shoulder and see what he's doing. A very comical moment there. That started out with Fanry saying, you know, surely you guys are Jedi. Like, you know, why would you need any help here? You got your lightsabers. You, you can't be beat. Which reminded me of how Anakin in Phantom Menace yeah. was saying, like, no one can kill a Jedi. You know, yeah, right. you guys have your, your lightsabers. But, you know, Obi-Wan is explaining the workings of the kyber crystals of the lightsaber to Fanry. And my takeaway here from this conversation was his patience, where this has been a rough story for Obi-Wan so far and a very intense internal struggle for him and he doesn't want to be stuck entertaining Fanry in the throne room while Qui-Gon is talking with Rail about you know the real reason that they're there but we see his patience here how she's Mm -hmm. asking a lot of questions as any young kid would do you know but why why this what about that and he's just he's maintaining this this patient demeanor and he's kind of showing us the master that he will end up becoming just this you know kind of embodying a lot of what Qui-Gon is like this serenity this patience here Mm -hmm. where you can tell how passionate he is about what he does and he's he's showing that to Fannery where you know we're seeing what he's capable of becoming here despite everything that's happened he's able to with a smile on his face a genuine smile on his face entertain Fannery talk about his lightsaber and and you see a lot of pride in who he is I really love this scene yeah, I think you're you're right on the money when you draw that comparison between him and Gwygon in this scene. You know, I think there's a lot of like we already discussed. Um, Obi Wan and Gwygon have sort of this rocky relationship up until this point in the book, and you see that in the scene, whether Obi Wan likes it or not, he's kind of becoming Gwygon, right? He just he just is very calm, and he talks with this you know this immense knowledge and serenity yeah. and he just is very passionate about being a jedi and it's it's really cool and you know it's it's fun to hear obi-wan talk about that sort of thing yeah. because he's just he's just so knowledgeable and he d- ends up becoming even more knowledgeable as the years go by you know one of the smartest jedi in the order yeah. you know perhaps maybe not the strongest or the best with the lightsaber but by far one of the smartest and just the wisest people out there just one of the the one jedi that just sees the bigger picture more than all the rest and that yeah. was who Gwygon was too right like Gwygon wasn't overly powerful with the force or with the lightsaber he just saw the bigger picture yeah better than all the rest and i think that's the one quality that we see here in obi-wan that he's gotten from uh Gwygon. but obviously this chapter ends on sort of a sort of a chilling note almost yeah. <laughs> um and i before you go into it this was the part of the book when I first read it, where I just, like, <laughs> I didn't laugh, but you almost have, like, that sort of reaction, right? It's just yeah. one of those very chilling two-liner moments where you're just like, oof. Like, let me just put you. this book down <laughs> for two seconds, and let me comprehend what I just read. I think I even told my friend about the end of this chapter. I'm like, damn, dude. Like, Yep. <laughs> kind of, almost like breaking the fourth wall from Claudio, where it's like, yeah, I, I know exactly what I'm doing here. No, uh, <laughs> I've seen Star Wars. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but let's let's briefly talk about it. Where Fannery is being very insistent about wanting to know what happens 
if a Jedi needed to use their lightsabers against each other. And Obi-Wan's kind of trying to shove shove it off. Like, no, nah, it's not. It wouldn't ever mm-hmm. happen. And, you know, she's very, you know, she, she she presses him very hard here. And we see, before we kind of get to what Obi-Wan says, we kind of see a side to Fanry that we maybe hadn't seen before, where she, in the text, it says here, the quote, Fanry seemed to realize she was being a bit bloodthirsty, <laughs> which, uh, you know, is kind of accurate where she just, is pressing well no but tell me more about like you know what happens if a jedi fight you know it needs to fight yeah. each other and i wonder if it's just like her if this is just her childlike curiosity taking it to another notch it was just very interesting to see that she was very intent on wanting to know what happens there but i'll just read the the end of this uh, chapter quote Fenery seemed to realize she she was being a bit bloodthirsty because she smiled impishly and made the next question a joke. Never talking about a Jedi fighting a Jedi. Obi-Wan smiled back as he shook his head. Not ever. That a Jedi would never fight another Jedi. And this is the unavoidable truth, the foreshadowing, mm-hmm. that Obi-Wan's kind of laughing this off right now. He's like, no, not ever, with a smile on his face. Right. And we know he ends up fighting to the death with his apprentice, with his brother, another Jedi. I'm getting chills right now. (laughs) It's a very chilling moment in the book because not only does Obi-Wan come face to face with one Jedi Knight, but two in Dooku multiple times, right? So Obi-Wan so intent at this point that there would be no reason ever to fight another Jedi. And I think it's a fun little piece of lore almost too that like wow like the jedi use like the lightsabers as ceremonial pieces you know yeah. they did little demonstrations i think that's i think that's a cool piece of lore that um is fresh and new in this canon but also it's just so so not funny but it's funny that obi-wan's the person that has to yeah. explain this when he is the guy that's got to face down that one but two different it's ironic jedi. <laughs> it's terribly ironic it's just terrible but it almost speaks to Obi-Wan's character right up until Revenge of the Sith as well. Because you see the last holdouts of that, even in the final hours of Revenge of the yeah. Sith, where Obi-Wan fights for Anakin literally until he can't anymore. Like, there's that one scene on the LAAT when they're flying through Coruscant, and Mace and Yoda are like, man, maybe we made a wrong choice. <laughs> like, maybe Anakin isn't the, isn't the guy. And Obi-Wan's like, no, like, Anakin's the dude. I believe in Anakin. I believe in the Jedi. We're going to get through this. And you see that right up until the very end. And it's so, to have Obi-Wan be the person that has this conversation is not only incredibly bone chilling, but so accurate to who his character is. Yeah. Like it has to be Obi-Wan to give this conversation because he's the guy in the story right now, way more than Qui-Gon, that just wholeheartedly believes in the Jedi. Yeah. And that's, that's important. And that's, this, like I said, was the part of the book where I was like, oh boy, we got to put this one down. (laughs) We gotta just take a step back before I shed a single tear. Yep. (laughs) It was tough. It's it's tough because you're right. Like, not only does he say that, like, he he even says in this, these last couple of paragraphs, I'm looking at my book right now, where he says, you know, even the Sith, like, they use the lightsabers, but the Sith have been extinct for a millennium. And within the span of, I don't even know, a year? Yep. He's going to see Maul. He's going to come face to face with Dooku, who's a Sith Lord. He's going to come face to face with his own apprentice, who's a Sith Lord. Like, he just is going to not only face these ex-Jedi, but (laughs) both things that he's saying here that could never happen. He gets turned on on its head. Uh, Completely upside down. This whole page is just like, you know what? That was a lie. Everything you thought you knew, (laughs) Obi-Wan. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) 
bone chilling, like, like you're saying, a very chilling moment. Uh, and like you're saying, it kind of has to be him in, mm-hmm. in this situation, in, in, in these shoes. And that is how chapter 16 ends. I'll read my summary for 17, and we can keep moving. Okay. Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan observe security footage of previous demonstrations and attacks by the opposition. Given all the evidence, they both decide something is amiss in the group's recent escalations threatening human lives. Much to Rahara's discomfort and anger, Pax informs her he has agreed to meet with the Zerka Corporation. Not all is as it seems, though, when Pax reveals his true purpose is to sell them colon crystals under the pretense that they are actually Kyber. Obi-Wan and his master prepare for the Grand Hunt, and the Padawan pairs himself with a Varactyl to ride on. Obi-Wan experiences pure elation as he forms a strong bond with his mount, and he turns out to be one of the best riders as the event begins. As the hunt goes on, something goes terribly wrong when Obi-Wan witnesses Fanry under attack as the hunted becomes the hunter. Chapter 17 ends, you know, on a very suspenseful note, on a very grim note. Do you have any general thoughts before we dive into the details? I can't help but um, imagine Claudia Gray sitting down and watching Revenge of the Sith and going, (laughs) my favorite part about this movie is when Obi-Wan rides that dragon up the side of the mountain and it just looks like so much fun. I'm going to write a whole story about that. (laughs) Just such a great part about this book that Obi-Wan just loves riding these things and they love Obi-Wan back. But, you know, it's just a nice, just a kind of a back pocket moment from the prequel trilogy that just gets a moment to shine in Obi-Wan's backstory. I love that about this chapter. It doesn't, you know, in the end, it really doesn't mean anything. You know, it's just a nice little fun piece of lore for us to, for us nerds to nerd out about. (laughs) I just can't help but imagine Claudia Gray going, wow, that's sick. I'm going to write a whole story about that. (laughs) (laughs) It's very, like that, you you can't not think about that scene on Utapau when, uh, you know, he's riding the Varactyl and and we're seeing the beginnings of that here where, you know, he's riding Varactyl for the first time. I think she does a nice little – she kind of serves a little bit of Star Wars justice by herself, I think, because there's a nice deleted scene. I don't know if you have seen this, Andrew. There's a deleted scene from Revenge of the Sith where Obi-Wan has a moment before he rides the Varactyl. Yeah. And he, like, kind of bonds with it, you know? And it never made it into the film because it didn't need to be in the film. It was just, you know, yeah. 30 extra seconds. That they could just, we don't need this. But <laughs> Claudia Gray kind of single-handedly serves out some good old Star Wars justice, and she says yeah. – Remember that scene you deleted from Revenge of the Sith, you jerk? Bringing it back. <laughs> We're putting it in this book. I'm taking that. <laughs> and it's it, great. It's great. I love it. It was a very great scene. Uh, and I think uh, I've got a point to talk about uh, when he is starting to kind of form that that bond with the Varactyl. Before we get there, though, um, let's talk about this, uh, this scene where Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are looking at this security footage. It's a lot of chilling evidence of what the opposition has done on Pijal. A lot of it's harmless, but, you know, one of their incidents involved kind of putting a chemical in the moon's atmosphere that kind of made it turn red, and, and they painted on the side of the Capitol, like, can you forget us now? And it's very mm-hmm. kind of, like, chilling stuff from them. But then, even that can't compare to their attempt to blow up this factory that happened earlier in the book. And it just, the, the, this erratic behavior 
that is being displayed by them brings Obi-Wan to make a good point where he's suggesting to Qui-Gon that, and this was touched on in, in the previous episode of the, uh, of the show, that maybe there are several factions within the opposition, you know, different cells, um, you know, who are, have different methods. I, I just thought it was, it was a good observation from Obi-Wan because it just, it doesn't seem to make any sense what's happening. Yeah, I don't know I mean, if you had any thoughts on that. It's just another one of those moments where Obi-Wan sees the bigger picture where a lot of other people wouldn't, right? Like, yeah. Obi-Wan's always the one that takes a step back and says, you know, like, what are we missing here? Like, something's going wrong. And it, it's, I think the opposition and their erratic behavior is a really interesting part about this story. I think it keeps the book very fresh, right? Like, this yeah. isn't a, this isn't a serial killer. Like, it's not doing the same thing over and over again. It's weird. It's erratic. Nothing makes sense. And that's fun for the reader. Like, because you're, you're, I remember reading this book when it first came out, just trying to find like some common ground. Like you're reading it too, and you're like, okay, what like is going on? Like who is it? What's going on? Yeah. Where you know? Uh, it, it's a really fun read when you have an enemy like this, you know, an antagonist like this that just is just so weird and out there and just is doing different things. It's it's very unique, and I really like the sort of the suspense it builds almost yeah. by itself, like without Claudia Gray having to actually literally put the suspense in herself. The exactly. fact that they are very unpredictable and they just do anything, I think adds another level of kind of subconscious suspense while you're reading because you don't know what they're going to do next. Like, <laughs> like you don't know if they're going to like light a trash can on fire or if they're going to blow up a factory. Like it yeah. could be anything from any given day. I love the the mystery kind of that it generates where, you know, we're kind of in the same shoes as Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. We just, we just, it makes no sense. We're left trying to figure out, you know, exactly what's what's going on with just the, the evidence is very conflicting. I, I love it. I love the suspense that it builds and the tension that it builds where it's like, yeah, it, it kind of plays out almost as, as a mystery where, you know, we have the facts in front of us and just trying to make sense of it and, and who's behind it. I, I like that touch from from Claudia here. The next scene with Pax and his deal with the Zerka Corporation, it's a short one. Mm-hmm. Um, not much not much really happens aside from him. You know, he does sell the colon crystals. I just wanted to briefly talk about how when Rahara is, you know, indignant towards him even meeting with them in the first place and gaining money from them, she calls it blood money. And... You know, when he was in the facility, Pax saw a courtyard filled with slaves who were all children. Uh, mm-hmm. And as he's walking away with this money, he just hears those words in his head, blood money. And, you know, he, he, he saw the children. He knows where this money came from. Mm-hmm. And I, just, I, I look at this and I see the things that people are willing to do. And the lengths that they, you know, packs here are willing to go to that. Yes, he stole from them. He, he scammed them. Yeah. In, in fairness, you know, he did that. He, he got a lot of money. But is it worth it? And is it right? When he sees yeah. where it's coming from and he does it anyway. Where he takes the victory like, I just, I just pulled one on them. But there is that chilling nature of it that he saw right before his eyes. I mean, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a tough conundrum. Uh, for Pax, because not only do they need the money, you know, like they, they kind of need this just to live their daily lives and to yeah. upgrade their ship and to do what they got to do, but it's got to hurt Rahara a little bit, right? Because she's right, like the, that money's not legit. They didn't earn that money, right? That money was made off the backs of slave kids, and that can't make Rahara feel any better about their situation, like, because she knows that that was her. There was probably people doing that when she was a slave. 
Yeah. So she, you know, who, what difference does it make that Pax has the money or Zerka has the money? That money's not legit. It just it was made off the backs of people that aren't being compensated for their labor. That's got to hurt, I, you know, beyond Pax, beyond Pax doing that, because I'm sure Pax is coming at it from this angle. And we see in the book that he comes at it from a pretty noble angle, I think, like yeah. wanting to take that money from them. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, let me give you this this nasty crystal. It's not real. It doesn't do anything. But you guys think it's real. Let me take that money from you. I think yeah. that's a noble cause. I think that's a legitimate thing to think. For sure. But I think Rahara is like, dude, like, it, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. unless these kids are free, it doesn't matter if you got the money or they got the money or my uncle's got the money. Like, it's not legit money. You're just taking money from these kids. So, like, the I, fact I see remains, it. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it hurts. It's it's really tough. It was tough to read, you know, especially just in the previous chapters, seeing her describe the circumstances in which she was raised and that mm-hmm. she came from. We see where both of them are coming from, and they both have a point. It's just it's just a lose lose. Uh, you yeah. know, at the end of the day, these children are still slaves, and yeah. money is still being made. No matter how much Pax takes from them, they'll probably make hundred over but they, the next day. Pocket uh, cash. They're just getting rid of exactly. like, all right, fine, whatever, have it, right? And like, yeah. it's, it stinks because they you're not really doing anything by taking this money from them. Unless you free slaves or you actually hurt the Zerko Corporation in some way other than a monetary, you know, transaction, it, it doesn't matter. It's a mere flesh wound. Yeah, it's a, it's a flesh wound. doesn't matter. But you know what does matter, Ian? Calling out references where they happen. Hey, listeners, this is Editing Andrew. I just want to talk about what happened here. You know, past Andrew was trying to do the right thing. He made a reference to Monty Python and the Holy Grail, you know, the part where King Arthur was fighting the Black Knight and he cut off his arms and the Black Knight was still trying to fight him. He said, this is a flesh wound. Past Andrew made the reference, but it seemed like it kind of just flew over Ian's head where Ian just kept rolling. You know, past Andrew's intentions were there, but he really should have told Ian, you know, hey man, I was trying to make this great reference to a classic movie, but he didn't. You know, it's been a while since past Andrew has slipped up. New Year, apparently, same mistakes. They both dropped the ball, but I'm here to pick it up and to hand it to you guys. He should have called him out there, so they both understood the reference he was making. Now, let's get back to the show. In this final scene of the chapter, we are at the beginning of and and going into the Grand Hunt. And we kind of talked about, you know, a lot of this scene is just setting up Obi-Wan's relationship and this forced bond with his Veractal. I, but, you know, before we close the chapter out, I just want to touch on the nature of this bond that he's forming with his mount. Uh, there's this, this section I'm going to read where he's reaching out through the forest to this, this creature in front of him. And quote, And then he felt it. The beast's soul, simpler and purer than that of a sentient, yet still intelligent in its way. When it cocked its head to study him, Obi-Wan realized this could not be a matter of his mastering the Veractal. Instead, they would have to meet as equals. I love this because, partly because we we have that deleted scene and the scene from Revenge of the Sith, and we know what this you know what happens down the road. But but also because I feel like this could speak some insight into maybe a master apprentice relationship as well, where it should be this mutual growth, you know, meeting as equals and seeing that there's room to grow in either end. And and maybe it also shows how like the Sith mentality of this competing for power and dominance, it's it's this hierarchy is flawed. I, I love this little moment and his insight into it. It kind of lines up. It, it's, 
how do I want to put this? This is a lesson that Obi-Wan learns. I don't think he comprehends it just yet. I think he learns it, but it doesn't kind of sink in. But this is basically what his whole relationship with Qui-Gon is about at this point yeah. in the book. Like, it's just, he's coming at it from a totally different angle. He's coming at it as, as like, you know, Qui-Gon's my dad, and he's trying to make <laughs> me do these things. And I'm like, you're not my dad. Like, you can't dad, make... stop. Stop, Obi-Wan. <laughs> Qui-Gon, stop. It's like... <laughs> I think that's how he's coming at it. And it's this Varactyl that shows him that it's not like that. You know, it's yeah. this is a partnership. You know, you both experience new things together and you guys are equals. It's not, Gwygon's not worth anything more than Obi-Wan is, right? Like, yeah. they're the same. They're learning together. They're on this mission together. This isn't Gwygon on a mission with Obi-Wan by his side. This is a mission with Obi-Wan and Gwygon. Like, it's, yeah. they both have to work together. And I don't think this lesson sinks in for Obi-Wan just yet, but this whole situation is just a big metaphor for this yeah. this whole mission. Is Exactly. Obi-Wan has to see this as two equals working together or else neither of them will be successful. If the Varactyl yeah. doesn't trust Obi-Wan, then they aren't going to do good in the hunt. And if Obi-Wan doesn't trust the Varactyl, the same outcome still comes out. And it's the same way with this mission. Exactly. If Obi-Wan <laughs> doesn't trust Qui-Gon, then Fanery gets killed. You know, in vice versa it yeah it, it, it has to be a mutual respect i like it it can very much apply to the larger theme and the larger mission at whole i, I love that connection it, you know it, it's just it's a great moment where maybe any other person would have approached that where it's like you know this is just an animal and i mm -hmm. am by nature above it and obi-wan yeah. saying seeing here you know even if even if it doesn't stick with him it's still a small moment where he's realizing that sometimes you do have to meet as right. equals um, i think another part of this just for us star wars nerds i think this is a cool look into how the force works you know yeah. <laughs> between two two beings i think that's really cool i always love seeing those little pieces in the book because books you yeah. really get a lot of that right like, for you sure get a lot of these little you kind of explains it while it's happening i think that's really cool i love learning about that kind of stuff but i think it yeah. provides a really cool insight to like how ezra from star wars rebels interacts yeah. with those with those space whales and with the loath wolves and with yeah the, so good you know, <laughs> one of his one of his powers you know it's not really a power but one of his strengths in the force is yeah. that he has this connection with these animals with the loath cats and the wolves and the, the space whales which are just yeah. spectacular <laughs> i love them <laughs> um, but like this is a, i think it's a cool look and it's a this, great connection i think this book came out probably around the time of the rebels um finale I, I can't remember i remember it was definitely within the rebels run but yeah, it, i think so it's it's a great look into that little little corner of the force yeah I, I love just uh and we can get more of this just by the nature of it being a book we can get more of the details <laughs> oh, yeah. into that and and this is the first of like you're saying many examples in this book alone of those intricacies in how the force works between beings whether it's between people or between obi-wan and a varactyl just a very beautiful scene and i love that connection to ezra demonstrating that I mean, that's that is very much his specialty uh, mm -hmm. in in Rebels. Um, and the chapter closes out where, you know, Obi-Wan has kind of pulled away from the rest, where a lot of people are having trouble with their Varactyls, like jumping over trenches. And, you know, a lot of people don't have the same, not necessarily mastery over, but the the connection with uh, their, their mount. And Obi-Wan sees, you know, Fanery is ahead of him. And they've been tracking this crab droid, this modified crab droid, which is the prey of this hunt. And it's nighttime. There are some torches around, but it's a very dark scene. And But they can see kind of like the light from, from the crab droid in this kind of underbrush, in this tall grass. And all of a sudden, it starts shooting at Fanry. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
for a moment, Obi-Wan thought, oh yeah, she's got it in the bag, she'll get the prey, and then the whole situation gets flipped on its head, and that's how the chapter ends, where now Fanry has become the hunted. <laughs> a very suspenseful way to end chapter 17. Claudia Gray, the master of suspense. I mean, she just... <laughs> Every chat, and this was a part of the reason why I read Lost Stars in two days. Like it just—that's how she writes, man. You just (laughs) you—you cannot stop reading her writing. Like you're just like, I gotta go. I just gotta read the next chapter, and then you get to the end of that chapter, and you're like, okay, just one more. I gotta do it. (laughs) Just how she writes—it's addictive. It's It's great. I just—I cannot get enough, and I I, just—I know we're on this book right now, but I just cannot wait for her entry in the High Republic because I know it's gonna be more of this. It's gonna be like this on steroids. I just can't wait. I love it. I love it. I can't wait either. It's just more Claudia Gray. <laughs> yeah, I don't care what she writes. She could write business memos, and I'd be like, oh, I yeah. Gotta, gotta <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> and that is how chapter 17 ends. I'll read my summary for 18, and then we can get into what exactly unfolds next. So, Qui-Gon's struggles with controlling his Varactyl are interrupted as Captain Darren cries out that Fanry is in trouble. The Jedi soon joins with Obi-Wan in pursuing the crab droid peppering blaster fire in Fanry's direction. Together, they are able to destroy the droid, and further chaos ensues as everyone scrambles to find out how someone could have possibly sabotaged the prey. Rail attempts, without success, to control his boiling emotions, outraged that the opposition came so close yet again to killing the girl he has sworn to protect. Lashing out at Obi-Wan and inwardly questioning Qui-Gon's compassion, the Lord Regent angrily orders for no one to leave the palace compound without his permission. In the Varactyl stables, Obi-Wan shows his master troubling security footage from the hunt, where they both make out a single figure, clad in black, apparently controlling and tethering the sabotaged crab droid. It's a really... The beginning of this chapter dives us right into the the, the chaos. <laughs> that really is the, the majority of this chapter. Do you just have any general impressions of 18 before we talk about what happens? Great action sequence. Um, they're kind of sporadic in this book, the action yeah, sequences. Sure. It's not a... Um, you know, the Alexander Freed books that I love very dearly are, are almost constantly action. They're war stories, so that's just kind of part of how he writes. But Claudia Gray really weighs her action with the drama scenes, yeah. and it's it's fun when we get to read something like this. Uh, you know, this kind of fast-paced, lightsabers out, you know, blasters yeah. going off. It's a fun little moment, and uh, obviously it's tough to break down, but it's a nice change of pace. And uh, yeah. it just shows that Claudia Gray is kind of a master of her craft. She just kind of knows when to turn the dial up a little bit mm. and to turn it down and to leave the suspense and kind of give you a chilling moment or a funny moment like that's not something you can really teach an uh, author yeah. it's something you can teach a director or a writer it's just kind of something that you gain over time just this sort of uh, sixth sense of how mm. the writing's going and it it's it this is one of those chapters where you're like all right let, let's read and you can tell that like just the way she writes it's very fast it's quick pace and it, it, you just you're zipping through the text and you really feel like you're in it uh yeah. the text is descriptive you can almost feel it you can almost like you can really visualize what's going on in the scene like with this grass and the night and these blaster bolts flying by and you can see obi-wan like whipping yeah. through the grass i really really love the the description and and the the purity of this scene 
very vividly written and and like you're saying it, it is very difficult to do but she pulls it off many times in this book where you know she does pick her moments of where to like you're saying turn the dial up a notch but it doesn't feel out of place you know no. just moments ago obi-wan is feeling joy and elation and just like the thrill of the hunt and he's mm-hmm. loving this bond with the veractal and then all of a sudden fanry's under attack it, it's a jolt you know it's it's a jolting change but it doesn't feel out of no. place at all you know she she works it so well and i couldn't have really put it better than than how you just did so you know the scene does unfold very vividly where Qui-Gon ends up working with Obi-Wan to cut through the tall grass and they mm-hmm. end up defeating or destroying this crab droid and it's a very a very well-written action scene where Rails back protecting Fanery and Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are just working together like we know they can do so mm-hmm. well it is there that connection that partnership it can flourish you know when they choose to allow it to right um, and Qui-Gon and, even makes that point right like Qui-Gon yeah. even says like as he's running over he's like damn I'm so proud of this guy because you know Obi-Wan's like going at it yeah and Qui-Gon like has this moment where he can be like that's exactly who I want you to be and it is who Obi-Wan ends up being in the yeah. long run like he ends up being this great warrior and Jedi Master and Gwygon has this little tiny moment. Whether that means something or not, I don't know. It's just a nice little moment for, for Gwygon for to sure. look at his, his Padawan that he's been having a rough time with up until now and he just gets to look at it and say, thank you. Like, you're that's doing you exactly do. <laughs> what what you are. And I think that's great. Yeah, a, a great moment. A, a, little, a little moment that speaks a lot to, mm-hmm. you know, the two of them and how Gwygon knows this is who we can become. Uh, and, and he it, knows it. It's kind of funny, like, the way the relationship works out in this book, because I think they both have moments throughout this book where, like, face-to-face, they're kind of, like, hostile, mm. but they're, like, in the back of their mind, they're like, wow, that's a great yep. dude. And, like, you're just kind of, <laughs> like, it just never quite lines up, and, like, they're angry at each other all the time for no reason. Like, it almost exactly. comes off like that, and you're like, come on, guys, like... You guys both think each other is great, and, like, they finally, like, this is one of those moments where, like, Gwagon, like, yeah. in the back of his mind is like, that's such a great guy, but, like, he's, you know, he's probably gonna... Tell him tell him to his face. <laughs> right, right, and that's, it, it's just a nice little, it's a conflict, right? Like, yeah. that's what makes her writing great, it's just full of conflict, and it's just, uh, like you said, a little thing that means a lot. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and, and kind of like the aftermath of what's happened, uh, you know, Qui-Gon is talking with Rail and Obi-Wan about how how could this have happened? Because they pretty much had secured the hunting ground, you know, whether that's with sentry droids or guards. I think they hired some Rodians, uh, Rail said. Mm-hmm. So Qui-Gon's suggesting that this can really only mean that it must have come from someone within the palace. So any tension that was already high has just been increased even right. more. And Rail realizes it too. And, and this, I think, is really the biggest takeaway for me from this chapter is that he realizes someone is a traitor someone who they had thought they could trust someone who they probably think they can trust is a traitor and we see really rail start to embark on kind of like a a downhill spiral Mm -hmm. at least how i take it where the remaining conversation with obi-wan with qui-gon isn't great you know he's referring to whoever's behind it you know the opposition as animals as monsters as scumbags and he's thinking to himself that qui-gon's only looking outwardly calm because he doesn't actually care about anyone involved here and you know he lashes out at obi-wan he's trying to rile obi-wan up you know purposely trying to shake obi-wan up you know when he sees obi-wan and qui-gon just exchange a look they're, you know, they just look at each other once, then Rail jumps on that, purposely trying to to shake 
Obi-Wan up. And when it comes down to it, the opposition have come close two times now within a matter of what a day or two of killing Fanry. We know how much Fanry means to him. We know that he's trying to atone for his mistake with mm-hmm. Nimpiana. And we see him unraveling where, you know, whether it's this escalating rhetoric, rash assumptions, you know, this needless thing that he did with Obi-Wan. And we can only wonder if this is kind of the beginning of the loss of control yeah. for Rail Avaros. I, can I just say real quick that I love Rail Avaros? Yes. I just... <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, one of the most unsung great <laughs> characters in the new canon. And he's only appeared in two stories, this and the yeah. the sister book, Dooku Jedi Lost. Yeah. Just, uh, just a fantastic, fantastic character. Almost made my top ten video for um, top ten characters in the new canon. Mm. Almost. He was he was really close. Uh, but just not enough, not enough time with him on the page. Yeah, uh, but you know he's kind of like this Dooku light, right? Like he's yeah. kind of like this. He, he obviously they all have a connection with with Dooku, but Rail more than anybody is sort of like this Dooku light, just kind of out in the wild, away from the Jedi, and he kind of succumbs to his emotions more because he doesn't have to be you know confined by those rules. Yeah. Um, and I think by comparison, the audience looks at Rail and sees this sort of unhinged like wild man. Right, he's got the hair, he's got the beard, he's got the you know the Dresses accent. Rags. <laughs> you just you kind of see him, and you're like, dang, like what an unrefined mess. But in reality, he's probably the one that's the most normal. Like he's probably the guy that's acting the most normal there. Yeah. Right, like you're right. Like this guy's looking at Gwagon and Obi Wan, who are stoically calm about the situation. He's probably fired up because a he's not, and yeah. b he probably remembers that if he was in their shoes, he would probably also be stoically calm. So he's getting reminded subconsciously about this life he used to live. He's yeah. probably getting remindingly subconscious about his former Padawan, who he messed things up with. It's just this snowball effect, like in the scene where he's kind of like he's getting overwhelmed, and it's a normal human emotion like Mm. they kind of paint him as this like crazy guy but he's not like he's having a very human reaction right and that's only because he's not part of the the order anymore like he's had this time away where he's like he kind of you get what i'm saying here like i'm trying to he he's had this time away from the order where now he can show those emotions and he knows how to express those emotions and in the in the moment like i said it's it's wild and unhinged but in reality i don't think it's that at all yeah I think, I think it's, it's a very normal human reaction. For sure. And and maybe we don't get enough of that. You know, the primary perspectives in this book are from two Jedi, you know, mm-hmm. who, who are still, you know, Rail is still part of the Order, but not really. But, you know, yeah. from Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, who, you know, I, I guess maybe I've been on their train a little bit too too heavy, you know, because when I read this, I was like, Rail, you're being a little extra, aren't you? But then <laughs> you're kind of reining me in here where it's like, no, nah, he's being human. Yep. And... I feel like a lot of the times we forget, or I guess a lot of the times I might forget, <laughs> you know, when when I'm reading, you know, my favorite character in Qui-Gon Jinn here, my, at least my favorite Jedi character in Qui-Gon Jinn, where it's like, oh, this this is how Rail should be reacting here. But no, he, he's been away. He's, he's living with this incredible pain from mm-hmm. killing his uh, former Padawan. And he's just being human. Uh, and yeah, absolutely. He's he's just being him, and that's what makes him Dooku light. I mean, that like he just yeah, he's just away from the order and and succumbing to his emotions. And obviously, that does not make you a very good Jedi. But that doesn't mean you're a bad guy. I mean, he's yeah. I guess reconciling, you know, 
<laughs> like uh, certain moments might call for more just you know humanity than mm -hmm. sticking to what your jedi training has uh, taught you to do and uh, i don't know I, I i do feel like i do feel like he might be straying a little bit too far into the mm -hmm. realm of this oh, yeah. emotion yeah, yeah. but can we blame him no i think like you're saying no we, we can't no, and, I absolutely and we should. agree. I think he's definitely gone. He's spiraling out of control here, right? Because he just has had a really bad week. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, with this appearance of his old friend and these Jedi yeah. and like, great, these guys, you know, and he's probably all these emotions that have just finally come back to him. Yeah, it's been a tough week it's for a lot. real. But it's a lot. <laughs> that doesn't mean I don't like him any less. I, I, oh, I for just, sure. I... I really one of the best takeaways and he has a great moment at the end of the book too yeah uh, for sure um <laughs> and I, I i do feel like he is severely underrated i don't know how many people have or have not read this book and, and jedi lost i haven't read jedi lost yet um that i will get to that uh but i feel like he is criminally underrated and so the the chapter closes with kind of like this revelation obi-wan showing Qui-Gon this footage where they see yeah this figure this this the outline of this figure in the tall grass or nearby where the attack took place clad in black it looks like they're controlling the droid and that's it uh, that's really all they have like this there's someone who's clad in black and, and that's it and that's how the chapter ends you know it's not it's not a lot to work off of by any means but it is something i guess um i know in one of the previous security footages that they saw you know there was this um uh, video of the opposition clad in green on top of this uh royal aircraft so may you know it made me wonder okay so is this person do they just have different wardrobe colors or you know is one faction kind of like you know dressing in green and the other in black i don't know it just there's a lot more questions here but they have something and that's how the chapter ends and that's how this this episode ends uh, i mean <laughs> what a great three chapters though i mean so much packed into these three it's just yeah. um it's claudia gray for you man it's she's a lot like timothy zahn in that aspect like she just packs it in there and you of all people know that's what makes these star wars books just fantastic and <laughs> you and i both know that books like this the majority of star wars fans have not read they just don't pick it up either they don't have the time or they don't have the interest and that is a shame it really is <laughs> because there are some of these books that are just spectacular stories and this one especially master and apprentice stands out amongst so many others because it's about two main characters from the yeah. saga and it ties in with the phantom menace just beautifully and the parallels i mean a lot of parallel we just went over the whole slavery thing which is a yeah. huge part of the phantom menace and the fact that obi-wan you know has that whole moment where he says jedis will never fight and like yeah like the fact that people have neglected the star wars literature especially in the new canon is just a crying shame because it's books like these that just really tie the whole saga together yeah it's beautiful writing and beautiful storytelling uh, i know this book is from a lot of people i've talked to underrated by mm -hmm. by a lot um i think but i've valued kind of going through it at this pace and being re able to really talk about it and break it down because we see just the richness of this story and the character development and the foundation that Claudia has laid for, like you're saying, two main characters of the saga. You know, maybe Qui-Gon not so much, but very prominent, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, his, his life and death, very prominent roles and everything that right. unfolded. So I'm glad 
to have been able to talk about these chapters and this book with you in this episode. Ian, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, if the listeners wanted to hear more of your voice, see more of what you do on the internet, could you tell them where they could do so? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my Twitter handle is at talkwithmyhans underscore. As Central Fred and I used to say, there's a 14 character limit, so... <laughs> Kind of missed out on the talking with my Hans ad, but that's okay. Talk with my Hans underscore on Twitter. I spend a lot of time on there, man. Way too much for my own good. But uh, I post some gems every once in a while. You do. You do. Um, <laughs> you know better than anybody else. Uh, I'm there. And then, yeah. of course, you really are. Um, and then, of course, you can follow me on YouTube, talking with my Hans. Uh, I post all the time. I've been posting a lot last couple of months. Um, yeah. By the time this episode comes out, I'll probably be in the middle of my move uh, to my yeah. new lifestyle out in yonder. So if my content slows down, don't worry, I didn't die. I'm just, <laughs> I just need some time to move my life from point A to point B. And I also contribute over on What's New on Jakku, uh, yeah. now part of the Fanatic Media umbrella, which is very exciting. I'm there much less than I am everybody everywhere else, but um, if I ever have uh, you know, an idea that's too long for a tweet and not good enough for a video, <laughs> that's kind of where it goes. That's where I find this place. <laughs> but sometimes that stuff's really good, so uh, if yeah. you have interest in any of that, um, please come check me out. I'm I'm there all the time. I can't really speak enough to the quality of your work. And like I was saying earlier, and I, I meant it, you know, your YouTube channel is, you know, I, I have the notifications on. I do all, all everything that you ask. Let's I, go. <laughs> that is one of the channels that I always am watching to see if there's something new out there. Because the quality of your work, man, is phenomenal. And I know that you know, uh, as as a news anchor, you will do great things. So <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. But hey, you know the. <laughs> I try to do my best with the channel, and it means a lot, you know, to, for you to, to say that because you know I don't I don't do breaking news. I don't do like I, I don't I just don't do that kind of thing. I just yeah. want to talk about topics that are hot, topics that may are maybe controversial, and I just want to bring this sort of level-headed and rational approach to these things. Very and much. you know, that's maybe not to in place on youtube maybe irrationality <laughs> and clickbait is where it's at uh, maybe not on my, your channel <laughs> not on my channel you're right you're only going to find rational thoughts and sometimes you might disagree but that's what this is all about right that's, that's what all, life's all that's about. part of it you know it's good work it's honest work and and I, I will post links to that work in your social media in the episode description listeners you. you will not be disappointed uh, so please do check out ian's work uh, thank you so much for coming on the show man i've really really enjoyed this conversation as always man thank you uh, just just keep this up man whatever you do don't <laughs> let this die because you're he just posted the other day. You're growing, man. You had a pretty highly downloaded episode not too far, not too long ago, and that's yeah, that was good. <laughs> that's exciting stuff, man. And I am I appreciate it. Just to let you know, I'm one of the downloaders. Oh, I'm, I'm the truth is the out. <laughs> truth is out. I'm listening. I love it. I really do. I love it. So just keep it I up, man. It. I'm. I'll always be around whenever you want to talk again. I appreciate it. Well, I always love the chance to talk some Star Wars with Star Wars with you and to see you talk about it on your channel. But thank you so much, and uh, looking forward to getting this out there. And before we close up today, I'll give our discussion question for these chapters. After the attempt on Fanry's life during the Grand Hunt. Rail reacts to the situation very emotionally, where Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan maintain their calm and show very little outward reaction. 
Is Rail justified in allowing himself to feel these emotions in a very human way? Or do the Jedi have a point that opening oneself to emotion is a weakness? And listeners, I will post the question to Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please send us a response on any of those platforms or by email to outerrimreadspod at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to follow Outer Rim Reads on social media to stay up to date on the show and our discussion questions, feel free to give us a follow on Twitter at Outer Rim Read Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at Outer Rim Reads Pod. If you'd like to support the show and get access to episode bloopers, our patron Discord server, bonus episodes, and more, you can do so if you head over to patreon.com slash outerrimreads. And if you want to get some show merch, you can find us on teespring.com slash stores slash outerrimreads. Outer Rim Reads is created by Andrew Gayhut, is hosted by Andrew Gayhut, is edited by Connor Floyd, and it is produced by Andrew Gayhut as well as Simon Van Beckham. We will be back in two weeks with episode 29. So until then, sit back and enjoy. We've got Pijal's Grand Hunt on pay-per-view over there. With three Jedi involved, what could possibly go wrong?